Deconstruction is trending, and many are simply struggling to make sense of it all. In July 2019, popular Christian writer, speaker, and pastor Joshua Harris announced that he and his wife were separating due to significant changes that have taken place in both of us. Subsequently, Harris revealed that he no longer considered himself to be a Christian. Harris then cited primarily personal and relational factors in his own walk away from the faith. As public pressures and private crises in his life and ministry intensified, he found his Christian identity unraveling in slow motion until he finally found that there was nothing left and walked away. In 2020, comedic duo Rhett and Link announced on their podcast, Ear Biscuits, that they both are no longer Christians, describing themselves instead as hopeful agnostics. This was a surprising announcement to many, as Rhett and Link were both raised as Christians and previously worked as full-time missionaries while attending college. That same year, John Steingard, the lead singer of the Christian band Hawk Nelson, announced on his Instagram that he no longer believes in God. Steingard compared the unraveling of his faith to the unraveling of a sweater. It didn't happen all at once, but it was a process that took years and occurred one thread at a time. Eventually, however, he discovered that the sweater was gone. These stories are becoming more and more common, not just among well-known Christian artists, writers, speakers, and pastors, but among everyday people who once claimed a vibrant, real, meaningful Christian faith. What in the world is going on? Deconstruction has been described as a crisis of Christian faith that leads to either a person's reevaluation of Christianity or sometimes a total abandonment of Christianity. Deconstruction is not necessarily the same thing as deconversion, but most of the people who deconvert, deconstruct first. What is happening? Why is it happening? And what might lead a person into this process? Welcome, everybody, to the Beards and Bible podcast. I hope wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you're having a fabulous day, evening, afternoon, morning, whatever it is. My name's Josh. I'm joined by my co-host, Gabe. Gabe, how are you doing today? Doing well. Decided to put my phone on silent mode. Not that anyone mm. would call or text me at 5.15 in the morning. I was about to say, who's who's calling and texting this early for you? That's yeah, a, I'd be surprised. But yeah, doing well. Talk doing to the well. guy. Yeah. Uh, just played paintball Sunday for the first time in years. What? Uh, yeah, youth group from our congregation went out. There's anything, like if you ever wonder, you know, do I still have the stamina and the energy of a 20-year-old, uh, go out and play paintball and that will quickly prove whether or not you do. Um, I played for like four hours and the next day it's like, uh, I mean, I'm, I, I would consider myself to be like in, in kind of decent shape, but it's like, yeah, man, I woke up the next day. I'm like, um, I just, I guess it's just all the sprinting and sliding into mm. bunkers and moving a lot that, you know, you don't you do some muscles that you don't really exercise a lot, but, um, yeah, yeah. it's really sore. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I haven't played paintball probably since you and I used to play in college. Because didn't uh, 
so Stacy's family had like a bunch of land, and we would play out there sometimes. Yeah, you guys were dating. Yeah, there was a cow pasture, if that's what you mean by a bunch of land. <laughs> had a, had a, uh, <laughs> yes. had a large ditch that ran the middle of it, and some big live yes. oaks and stuff, and palmetto bushes, and yeah, we used to yeah. go out there with Uncle Tom. Uncle Tom was Stacy's uncle, is Stacy's uncle, and uh, he's he was in his forties at the time and had a mohawk and would often. I remember um, that. Yeah, he he would he would uh, achieve peak inebriation before playing paintball. I do remember that. Well, and here's what I remember: um, her cousins or family members or whatever, they were like, um, they played by a different set of rules for paintball. Normally, you get shot and you're like, okay, I'm out. Mm-hmm. But for them, it was like, nope, you get shot and you keep playing until you can't handle the pain anymore. Mm. Do you remember like that an, rule? I don't remember. And. Yeah, and I think probably them being inebriated helped yeah. with that. Yeah. But I remember being super, like, scared because I was like, man, I, I don't know if I can just sit in there and take the pain. I haven't had mm. <laughs> as many beers as they've had. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, we had some good games out there. That's yeah. probably the last time I played, man. That's crazy. That's funny. How have you been? I've been good. I've been real good. I've uh, signed up for the marathon. Mm. And I've started getting out there and get my mileage, get my mileage up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been fun. Um, the town I live in, there's not that many runners. Yeah. And so I run on the four lane highway in front of my mm. office here at the church after ah. I'm done with my work day. And it's a good little run. It's a ton of rolling hills and stuff like that. But um, I feel like everybody in town, I'll run into them. They'll be like, man, I saw you running. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, and that's crazy. It's almost <laughs> like people don't understand why someone would run. Yeah. And so they're they're fascinated and confused by it at the same time. Yeah, it so sparks a deep intros, introspective, self-searching <laughs> conversation. Why am I doing this? <laughs> yes. And Every time yeah. I am honked at by a horn, I yeah. go, why? Is there something that I need to prove within myself that is lacking? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably. So there's yeah. days, yeah, running along the highway is the absolute worst. There's there's days um, where your training run will absolutely inspire you and you'll be like, I could get out there and run this thing today. Then there's days mm-hmm. where you're just like, oh, this is completely unachievable. I don't know why I'm even wasting my time. Um, so yep. that's, you know, it's part of the part of the part of the process. You know, it's like, you know, but. Hey, at the end of it, think of this. At the end of it, you're going to be able to relate to Jenny on a whole other level, being, you know, having having birth children and stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. But, uh, yeah, yeah, one could hope, one could dream. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where it's like I, I'm really, really, really nervous, mm-hmm. but something changed in my mind once I actually clicked the register button mm-hmm. on the website to sign up for like it was like, all right, you said you're going to do it. Let's get out there. Let's start pounding the pavement. And technically, the training plan I have, I don't really have to start training till like mid March, mm-hmm. and then it's like a 32 week thing. Yeah. But I'm just trying to get my base mileage up to mm-hmm. where I, you know, where it's not such a uh, drastic uh, increase of mileage once I get to that point. If that makes sense. Yeah, so I've been reading a lot of blogs about 80-20 training, which is like mm. 
heart rate training yeah. where 80% of your runs are in the zones one and two heart rate, which yeah. we could geek out on that on another conversation. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, y- you'll wake up one day after having run 15 miles and you'll say, I just ran 15 miles. That's insane. Mm. Like, I know it's hard yeah. to believe right now, but you're just like, wow, six miles, eight miles, 10 miles. That seems like a piece of cake. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's so crazy how you can condition your body to do things that you otherwise have never done. Um, and your body is for the most part, just kind of okay with it. Um, if you do it right and your body will just adjust and it'll strengthen, um, it's pretty crazy. It's, it's, it's a neat experience. Yeah. yeah I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it, but I've been doing that. I've been doing, uh, kind of three, three big things the last 30 days or so I've been Getting up early to do a Zoom prayer call with folks from my church. Hmm. I have not been eating certain foods, and I've started training for my marathon. And, Gabe, it's not been easy mm-hmm. to concentrate or focus sometimes when I felt like I've not had a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Gabe, I think I think you know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. You, well, you don't? If only okay. there was an elixir yeah. to help us. Yeah, if only there was. Fortunately, the, the folks at Magic Mind sent us some samples recently, and... They actually really helped in the mornings, especially when I was feeling foggy and didn't want to hop on the Zoom prayer call with folks from the church and get out and do a run. And uh, I took their focus and energy lectures with my coffee in the morning, and I could tell a notable difference. Um, I actually felt like I was able to stay focused and be more creative thanks to something in the energy lectures called nootropics, which is just fun to say that helped me stay focused and relaxed at the same time so I could speak with people and stay focused on them. I could write, I could create, I could do what it is I'm called to do. And uh, Magic Mind also has something in it called matcha. Matcha. Matcha contains way less caffeine than coffee and also contains additional compounds called catechins that extend the benefits of caffeine by slowing the body's ability to absorb it, as well as a compound called L-theanine that reduces stress. So matcha is basically nature's extended release version of caffeine. And, uh, yeah, it worked for me. Gabe, did it work for you when you took Magic Mind? It did, yeah. I had a notable prolonged level of energy and focus throughout the day. Um, I didn't have that 2 or 3 o'clock kind of slump um, that I usually get. And then I have to pound down a cup of coffee, and then that gives me the jitters mm. and makes me anxious. So, yeah, this is kind of like a slow release, and it's based on natural supplements and herbs and stuff yeah. that, that um, yeah, are healthier for your body anyways. Yeah. So if you're looking for something to improve your focus and energy, I highly recommend Magic Mind. You can check them out at magicmind.co slash Bible. You can also use discount code BEARDSB20 to get up to 56% off your first subscription of Magic Mind or 20% off your first one-time purchase. So that 56% off code only lasts 10 days. So hurry up and grab your Magic Mind subscription. I highly recommend it. If you're a runner or just a person. And I think I think there are persons listening to this, Gabe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, yeah, I hope so too. So our topic today is a uh, man. I feel I feel very passionate about today's topic. Mm. 
um, for a number of reasons. But uh, our topic today of deconstruction, I feel like, is one I cannot get around. I feel like we've gotten several people who have asked us about this because they're concerned about spouses, family members, people in their church, people that they know. And um, it just feels like it's trending all over the place right now. Um, Gabe, when's the first time you've heard the word deconstruction, and in what context did you hear it? Uh, yeah, I had a, had a couple friends um, that I went to college with who began kind of unraveling, and they, that's what they called us. They were they were in a season of deconstructing. Of course, they were they had to make it a a, a public spectacle via social media. Um, hmm. It's that's part of it, I believe. Is it's kind of the sum. It's absorption into self, I guess, is part of it. Um, so, so making sure everyone knows about it and everyone is, wow, you must be an intellectual, you know. And so, it's part of the spectacle process. Mm. But not everybody has to go through that. But that's the first time I heard of it. Yeah. And then, of course, just just from people saying it that they were con- deconstructing. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I kind of watched from afar, you know, as they deconstructed their faith. Um, yeah. Soon to follow was the 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 um dissolving of their marriage and you know the the unraveling of their family and all this other stuff um so it was it was um mm-hmm. it was really sad to see yeah that is man yeah i didn't know this word i knew uh, this concept because uh truth be told i kind of started down that path um probably right after college um mm-hmm. and i'm going to tell my story a little bit later. We're going to do like a bonus little mini episode and I'll share my story on it. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that word was being used 15 years ago. I think people were just like trying to figure stuff out. And the movement that kind of got attached to people who were trying to figure stuff out was the emergent church movement. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was kind of like deconstruction decaf. It wasn't really, full-blown deconstruction it was just people like hey there's some things that we were always told were true but are they true Mm -hmm. that kind of thing and so I was really really just kind of sucked into that orbit of you know reading books from people who were in the emergent church having a lot of conversations with people who were kind of like in the same place that I was because I grew up with a lot of church baggage and church hurt and so I didn't know it, but I was actually like kind of moving in the direction of deconstructing and started kind of picking apart my faith. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll share my story in another episode. But yeah, I, I kind of got to a point where it didn't really work for me, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a very pivotal age, you know, and you're you're coming out of, especially if you're coming out of any sect of fundamental or very conservative Christianity, um, you start to find authors and, and speakers and pastors uh, like like Brian McLaren or Rob Bell um, um, and others, you know, that are out there. And they, they're writing things that are true. They challenge mm-hmm. some of the things that were, you were taught as like, this is the gospel. You know, this is the truth. Right, right, right. And, and so the, it, it kind of appeals to you that, wait a second, you know, I remember reading Rob Bell's Love Wins and it's like, Oh, this is this is a whole other, it's a whole new perspective 
than what I kind of was raised up to believe, or maybe that, you know what my fundamental Baptist background, which I don't I don't have. I'm just using it as an example, but you know sure, it's, it just sure. it it kind of it shows a, a, a different facet um, than what you've seen before, and so it kind of appeals to you. And then yeah, you 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 just start to eat it all up, and then before you know it, you know, then they question the. I think it's sometimes it starts with they question the, you know, the validity of scripture and the, the authenticity or the authorship of, of many of the books of the Bible. Yeah, I I think uh, so. Rob Bell, when he started out, you know, in the early two thousands, I mean, he was evangelical. I mean, he was people were using his Numa videos like in youth group and stuff. I remember watching his Numa videos in youth group and in, um, at Southeastern. Um, but somebody gave me a copy of Velvet Elvis, his book that was kind of like his, that was like his big first book. And there was a chapter in Velvet Elvis that I really resonated with, but I look back on it now and I go, man, there's, there's probably something wrong with kind of how he's describing it. He was basically saying that doctrine was supposed to be, like springs on a trampoline in the sense of Gabe just sneezed and he put his microphone on mute right before he sneezed. So if you're watching on YouTube, you just watched him sneeze in silence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a silent sneezer. Well done. Well done, friend. Mm-hmm. Professional. Yeah. Yes, professional <laughs> silent sneezer. Uh, so the metaphor that Rob Bell used to describe theology, he said that it was like a trampoline and there were springs on the trampoline and you had to have springs for the trampoline to work but you could take out different springs on the trampoline and still have a trampoline Hmm. and I remember hearing that in the book Velvet Elvis and like wow that makes a lot of sense you have a really dangerous one (laughs) yeah and and I look back on that now I'm like all right that's a kind of a slippery slope Um, because he said you know for far too long we've seen tenets of theology like a wall, and you've got to have a foundation to build a wall, but I see it more like springs on a trampoline, that the more springs you have, the the higher you can bounce and closer you can get to God, but you don't have to have all of the springs to still... And so it's just kind of a... a, He was really slick as a wordsmith Mm -hmm. to say certain things, and you would go, oh, man, what is he saying? He's like, well, I'm not saying that, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm just asking questions, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. And of course, we know how that ended for him. I mean, he eventually went down the path where now he's just straight up a new age self-help teacher, right? Mm-hmm. But it was very much that. And um I think that over time it just sort of for many people all of those holes that were punched in the Christian faith, all of those holes that were punched in um, the faith they grew up in kind of started eroding the foundation they had to where in 2019 and 2020 and 2021, there was a slew of Christian um, leaders and Christian artists that just came out one after another and said, hey, I've deconstructed or I've deconverted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it started with Marty Sampson, who was a writer and artist with Hillsong United. He announced his deconversion in 2019. And that was a, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, he wrote 
if you're familiar with Hillsong United, he wrote a lot of the classic Hillsong United worship songs with Joel Houston. And so him coming out and saying, like, I don't believe this anymore was a big deal. Hmm. Uh, Joshua Harris, he was the author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye. He was a uh, pastor of a Sovereign Grace Church in Maryland. And uh, if you grew up in a homeschool uh, camp, his parents were really big in kind of that homeschool world. So he kind of grew up as a Christian celebrity. And uh, he came out in 2019 and said, my wife and I are getting a divorce. I wouldn't consider myself a Christian. I've deconstructed. And uh, then he became like really fanatical about helping other people deconstruct, Hmm. which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, And then Rhett and Link, YouTube personalities. You were pretty big into Rhett and Link, weren't you? Yeah, I used to watch them every single day. Good Mythical Morning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you sending me a couple of Rhett and Link (laughs) videos. They were pretty funny. Yeah. But uh, these guys were missionaries with uh, Crew for a while, the college Hmm. ministry. Uh, These guys were... uh, They worked with Phil Vischer, his uh, Bible Kids series, and so they were like on this, you know... The, the creator of VeggieTales, his Bible series, whatever, they were on that. And so it was, like, really, really hard for a lot of people who had seen them as basically Christian personalities mm-hmm. to hear them say they've deconverted to hopeful agnostics. They're no longer Christian. Mm. And then, of course, uh, John Steingard from the band Hawk Nelson announced his deconversion in May of 2020. Uh, Andre Assad, who is a Christian artist that's done actually a lot of worship stuff, hmm. a lot of singer-songwriter stuff. Have you ever heard her stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah. She's great. Like, she's just a phenomenal artist. Um, she grew up in the Plymouth Brethren denomination, a very, very conservative form of that. She became Catholic in 2007, and then she announced she was leaving the Christian faith in 2021. Hmm. And getting a divorce as well. And then um, our friend Kevin Max, which I've always <laughs> found him to be an interesting person. He's a former member of DC Talk. So he announced in a 2021 tweet, I've been deconstructing slash reconstructing slash progressing slash whatever you want to call it for decades. I've been in the outsider slash misfit slash seeker club for a long time now. Thank you for welcoming me in, but I've always been there. And he later posted, hello, my name is Kevin Max, and I'm an ex-vangelical. So Kevin Max does not claim to be, uh, you know, an agnostic or anything. He just says that he now follows the universal Christ, Hmm. like the cosmic Christ, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, this is like a... A trending thing, like quite literally, exvangelical has been a trending hashtag on Twitter as well as hashtag deconstruction. And it seems to be a process mainly affecting those under the age of 40, but some older folks are kind of going into this process as well. And a lot of the folks who have deconstructed... um, Man, sadly, those are people we went to college with. I mean, you mentioned that. That's the first time you'd heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I, I think of, gosh, probably 
a dozen people that I went to college with that I'll, I'll think about, man, I wonder what they're up to. And I, I go on their social media and it's all this. That's like what, I don't know, it's, it's just what ups, some people are obsessed with that went to the same college that we did. I don't know why there's a connection with that. Hmm. Um, I think we'll talk about that a little bit later about maybe why that is, some factors yeah. that lead to that. But So uh, just a side note, and I think this might be helpful, deconstruction is not necessarily the same thing as deconversion. But most of the people who deconvert, which means <laughs> they walk away from Christianity altogether, most of the people who do that first start with deconstructing. Mm. So I think that's a helpful distinction to make, that if somebody deconstructs, that doesn't mean they wouldn't consider themselves a Christian. They would still consider themselves a Christian. They're just basically arriving at a different understanding of what Christianity looks like. So does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. So the end result of deconstruction typically looks like somebody, uh, which uh, that's kind of a misleading phrase. There is no end result of deconstruction. Deconstruction is considered a process that you're always doing. You're always ripping things apart and reexamining things, and it's an open question in your mind. Um, But typically what I've seen for someone who goes through that process, it looks like someone renouncing the faith that they were brought up in, so if they were brought up in an evangelical Bible-believing church or they were brought up in a mainline evangelical denomination, they kind of renounce that and they adopt either one, uh, progressive Christianity. And we've done a whole episode on this. Uh, I think that's episode 16 we did on the book, The Grand Illusion. And so progressive Christianity usually usually adopts kind of the idea that the Bible isn't really the Word of God. It's helpful, it's it's a guide, but you can't read it as inspired, uh, inerrant truth. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, what the Bible teaches on things like human sexuality and the exclusivity of Christ and the judgment of God, those things can, can be reinterpreted and be... Um, kind of seen as a product of the day and age in which they were written. And so you can kind of completely abandon that because we've, we've progressed and we can understand those things differently. And so there are some code words that people use uh, when they kind of get into the world of progressive Christianity. And so those words are affirming, inclusive, and usually affirming and inclusive mean um, we are scrubbing away the Bible's teachings about human sexuality. So an affirming church or an inclusive church is a church that uh, basically welcomes in LGBTQ plus uh, people and, you know, even platforms them and, you know, welcomes them into positions of ministry. Which that's kind of, it's kind of misleading in the sense of like, if you're at affirming an inclusive church, and what you mean by that is that we don't think that any practice of human sexuality should have boundaries. It should just be whatever you you think. What you're basically saying is that churches that do teach there are boundaries of human sexuality are by nature like exclusive and mm-hmm. oppressive. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a pretty loaded, misleading code word. 
you know, it's, right. it's pretty loaded, but it's also where, where, where are the boundaries, you know? So if you take that inclusive things, if someone's coming in and they're having sex with animals, what do you, you know, you got to be inclusive, right? If you're going to be consistent with that. So there, there has to be, you know, and that's just the hypocrisy of that, that saying that, that we're, we're inclusive, you know, and we're welcoming of, of people of all types of sexual interests. And well, you know, that, 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 that is a very scary and slippery slope that I'm not willing to approach. Yeah. Well, and I think what's misleading about that too is like most Bible-believing churches that are healthy, somebody that is in a, in a place in their sexuality where they're, you know, like maybe they're gay, right? Mm-hmm. On a Sunday morning in our church, if somebody that's gay or somebody that's lesbian walked in the doors or somebody that's trans walked in the doors, they would feel welcome and they would feel loved, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's a lot of churches where the people would feel welcome, they'd feel loved. Now, once we started getting into the Bible and reading what the Bible says, we're going to read what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. And if the truth of the Bible hurts somebody's feelings, then we're going to love you and like wrap our arms around you and walk with you through how to apply that in your life. But we're not going to not read the truth of the Bible just so that you don't feel affirmed. I mm-hmm. mean, that's... Mm-hmm. So the code word affirming just means we're not going to tell you what you're doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. So affirming kind of gets um, redefined as something different. So there's a lot of code words in that movement that are not, that they mean so much more than what they mean, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, other code words are universal Christ or cosmic Christ. Um which Richard Rohr is a, the guy to thank for that. We've, we've done an episode on the Enneagram and how Richard Rohr <clears throat> kind of brought the Enneagram into the church and his teachings on the cosmic Christ, basically that all of us have um, the divine in us as humans and that there is a uh, consciousness that is Christ, that uh, Jesus kind of led the path to us to see and discover. And so it's, it's a very new age teaching. And so a lot of people will get into that, but basically it's just universalism and new ageism. And in progressive Christianity, there's a big emphasis on peace, social justice, and inclusion. And so a, a lot of it just is, is hitched and kind of walks lockstep hip to hip with um, leftist politics. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, Yeah. Some, someone deconverts from evangelicalism and converts to progressive Christianity, they would say, I'm still a Christian, but their Christianity looks nothing like the faith that they were brought up in, or frankly, it looks nothing like the, the faith of the past 2,000 years of church history. It looks like something completely different. Yeah, it tends to be kind of this package deal where you, you move into this realm you, you just kind of accept and absorb all the um, the politics and the um, uh, like, you know, the, the platforms and the and the um, platitudes and the, the catchphrases of of leftist polit- politicians, like you said. Um, and it, the answer then it's uh, it tends to be this fixation on social justice and taking mm-hmm. from wealthy and redistributing to uh, the needy, which is which is to its core Marxist, right? So. Yeah, it's just this um, 
the, the solution then is the state expanding its programs to help people. And then it's like, we're doing this under the guise of this is what the universal Christ calls us to do and demands of right. us. Right, 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 right. Um, despite all the yeah, corruption and, that would be present in all of those, those situations. R- right. And so Jesus, um, for people <clears throat> who are kind of in that movement, becomes like a example of a social activist. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus cared for the poor. Jesus cared for, you know, the marginalized. Jesus cared for uh, the least of these. And if, if you don't um, support immigration at all costs, right? I mean, you, you don't mm-hmm. believe there should be border control of you. Uh, then man, you, you don't, you don't care about immigrants. You don't care about the outcast or the downtrodden. It's like, I think it's probably a little more nuanced than that. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think probably it's a bit more, I, I don't know. And so it, I also would say this and we're painting really broad brushstrokes here. So please, if you're, you're in this, please don't think that we're just claiming to know where everybody lands with this. I mean, people land in this for a multiplicity of reasons. We're just kind of riffing on what we've seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that there is also a lot of virtue signaling in this movement Mm -hmm. and a lot of whataboutism. And by whataboutism, I mean, like, there's a lot of pointing out the hypocrisy on the other side <laughs> mm-hmm. as a defense of their particular camp. Um, and, and I, I feel like that's happening all the time now anyway, but you know, someone will say, uh, you know, the evangelical church is all about trying to get people saved, but what about the fact that all they're doing is, you know, telling people they're going to go to hell. How is that following the example of Jesus? What about that? You know, or Donald Trump held a Bible up after he tear gassed people. What about that? How is that, you know, like anything like Christ? And so just there, there's a lot of like this virtue signaling, what aboutism, this mm-hmm. angst that's tied into that. And uh, so, yeah, it's a whole, whole ball of wax. So most of the time when someone deconstructs, they land there, not always. But mm-hmm. that's where they land. But then they also could land in just straight-up deconversion, where they just walk away from the Christian faith altogether. Sometimes that is into hopeful agnosticism. That's the phrase that Rhett and Link used to describe where they landed. Sometimes it's in atheism. That's where John Steingard landed from Hawk Nelson. Sometimes it's into New Age spirituality, which is kind of like I wouldn't consider myself a Christian, but there's something out there that's kind of where... Audrey Assad landed, universalism, whatever else. Um, I would suggest that most deconstruction leads to deconversion eventually. And that progressive Christianity is kind of, it's just a a last stop on the way out the door for most people. Hmm. Because after a while, you, you just kind of find that, I mean, there's a reason the Episcopal Church is shrinking and losing members faster than any other. It's hemorrhaging faster than any other nomination because people get to a point where they're like, what's, what's the point of this? Like, why are we doing what we're doing? Like this, couldn't I just go join a social club and it'd be the same thing? Like if this is one path of many and Jesus really isn't the son of God, he's just sort of a social activist, then why can't I just be a social activist, right? Mm-hmm. 
So that's that's kind of um, just basically how this has started trending. But um, the big question is, what does that phrase even mean, deconstruction? Uh, you may hear it referred to as faith deconstruction, evangelical deconstruction, the deconstruction movement, which I don't know if it's really a movement because we'll talk about that. Or people just say deconstruction, but it's a phenomenon where people unpack, rethink, and examine their belief systems. Someone may drop their faith altogether, or they may come to a different understanding of their faith, or they may result in a stronger faith. And uh, that was kind of the case for for me, in the sense of I, I went down this path and there weren't very many answers for me. But... Um, there's really no end goal for deconstruction. There's there's no there's no end to it. There's no stop to it. It's just kind of a continual process that just goes on and on and on and on and on. People say that the uh, guy named David Hayward came up with the term to describe the process he experienced when he left the church. And uh, this is adapted from the writing of Jacques Derrida. He's the guy that Derrida is D E. <laughs> R-R-I-D-A, but because of my Appalachian American accent, it sounds like I'm saying Dorita, like like Dorito mm. with an A. Mm. I don't really know how to say the guy's name, but anyway, that's the guy that probably came up with the writing um, that influenced the uh, deconstruction term. And according to Brian Zond in his book, When Everything Catches Fire, deconstruction is a crisis of Christian faith that leads to either a reevaluation of Christianity or sometimes a total abandonment of Christianity. So those are some helpful terms with that. Gabe, anything about those terms you want to add? No, no. It's the nail ahead. So, Joe Terrell from Outreach Magazine said some helpful things about this. I think this is super important to make some distinctions. He he pointed out deconstruction is not really a movement because a movement apl- implies that a group of people are all moving in the same direction towards the same destination. And that's not really deconstruction. Joe Terrell says deconstruction is less of a movement and more of an explosion. <laughs> hmm. And that's because where someone ends up after deconstruction is almost as diverse as the reasons why they deconstruct in the first place, which I think is pretty fascinating to think about. So Hmm. if you can imagine, like, everybody's got this house, and the house has foundation studs and all that stuff, and deconstruction is like a stick of dynamite you throw in the house. Hmm. Everybody's house is going to explode differently. Which begs the question, does... Do good things ever come from any explosions? <laughs> you know, it's like violent release well, of energy. And it's like, you know, you, you what do you do then? You have a bunch of pieces and it, you become, I mean, it's like aimless, truthless, uh, moral relativist. And it's it's a very sad yeah. and lonely place, a very probably pretty frightening place. Yeah. I So... Yeah, I would say, I would say that um, there is a place for disentanglement instead of deconstruction, mm-hmm. 
Right. So like, um, if you grew up in a very, very legalistic, um, very narrow minded Christian movement, it's hard to decipher the difference between what you were taught about God and what is the truth of God's word. Mm -hmm. In other words, what is the teaching of man? What's the clear teaching of the word of God? And so, like, if we if we said that deconstruction is like a stick of dynamite you throw in the house that blows up the house, mm-hmm. and it's dissecting and rejecting this belief and that one, I would say disentanglement is probably a more helpful thing of, like, you got all these cords wrapped together, and you're taking time to unwrap the cords and go, okay, so this is over here, this doesn't go with that, but then this is over here, this this actually is from the Bible, this actually is something that for 2000 years of church history, people have held to. So I probably need to hang on to that. But this over here, I don't, I don't know why that got wrapped up in this. Cause that doesn't belong with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's something we should be doing is constantly reevaluating our faith and, and making sure we're not elevating man's tradition and man's edicts, man's interpretation of the Bible over the plain reading of scripture. And that's something that's really good. Paul says, test everything and hold on to that, which is good. So disentanglement is good as, as long as it doesn't evolve into deconstruction, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm compassionate to people who deconstruct because I understand what would lead someone to do it because I was there. Um, but I, I really feel like there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all deconstruction narrative. Everybody does mm-hmm. it for different reasons. And depending on what it is they're deconstructing and what it is they're blowing apart with that stick of dynamite, um, you know, they could end up with a more authentic and robust faith after their deconstruction, maybe. But I would say that's where I would use the term disentanglement instead of deconstruction. My, my wife told me about an um, interview with, uh, I think her name is Ginger Duggard, one of the Duggard girls. And she just wrote a book and... Uh, if you know anything about the Duggard family from 19 Kids and Counting, like all of the standards and stuff they were given, um, she grew in her faith and kind of moved into adulthood. She really had to decipher, okay, what of this is like really the truth of what it means to live the Christian life and what of this is stuff that I was taught that doesn't necessarily align with the truth of God's word. And so she used the phrase disentanglement instead of deconstruction. And I just thought, man, that's perfect. Like, that needs to happen for a lot of people to really figure out, okay, what it is, what is it that um, the Christian life is supposed to be as defined by the Word of God? And so, yeah, somebody raised in like a prosperity gospel congregation probably needs to disentangle some stuff. Somebody raised in a fundamentalist Baptist tradition probably needs to disentangle some stuff, right? But uh, I think deconstruction for a lot of people seems more based on what beliefs about God, Jesus, and the supernatural can I stomach or can I accept to be true? And that's kind of the premise that people start with instead of what beliefs about God, Jesus, and the supernatural correspond with reality and actually are true. Mm. And there's a big difference between those two things. Yeah. So. Well, I was just going to say, you know, it's like, um, I think, I think a motive 
is the determining factor in those two situations. So uh, I think I think a lot of people's motives are pure when looking at disentanglement and approaching their faith using a method of disentanglement. In other words, I love God so much that I'm going to look and audit my faith and everything within my faith and make sure it lines up to the written word of God and is in accordance with that. Um, so I would say, you know, like traditional, you know, Orthodox Catholic churches have a lot of work to do in that area, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, um, like independent fundamental Baptists probably have a lot of work to do in that area. Um, there are a lot of things that are held on par with the written word of God that should not be. They might be good, but you shouldn't hold them on par and, and make it like a sin if you if you do or do not do those things. Right, 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 right. But right. yeah, I think so, and the motives the motives of someone approaching their faith with a deconstruction de- deconstructionist attitude are going to be a whole different set of motives. They're probably based out of an emotion, probably based out of anger, probably based out of fear, out of hurt, um, and they're looking they're looking for ways in which they can discredit their own faith and deconstruct it because they've seen deep hypocrisy. They've seen deep scandals, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which we're going to get into a little bit more here in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, I think where the starting premise for a lot of people that I would say is a faulty premise is if you start your journey of disentanglement, deconstruction, or whatever it is you want to call it with the premise that your mind is the Supreme Court and your mind is the final authority as to what is true and what is false. It's your mind, right? What you'll end up with was is a kind of um, understanding of truth where you're going, okay, I say that's not true, not necessarily because it's not true. I say it's not true because I don't like it, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's a big difference between you not liking something that's true, and that's why you don't want to receive it as true, and if it actually is true, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't like that it's raining today, but it's still raining today. Mm. So this leads into postmodernism, right? Mm. We have told people, if you don't like the fact that you're a man, just say you're not a man, and now you're a woman. Why? Because you feel like a woman. Well, where did we get this understanding of reality and truth? Well, you got to go back to how we view truth societally and culturally through something called postmodernism. And uh, this is what most philosophers and sociologists say that we're in. We're in a very postmodern culture. And here's how um, postmodernism sees truth. Modernism saw truth as discoverable and absolute so you discover truth and you'd be like, okay, that's that's true. Like two plus two is four. The law of gravity exists. It's raining today, right? I can discover that. I can observe that. That corresponds to reality. That's truth. But postmodernism sees truth as subjective hmm. in the sense of like absolute truth is discarded in favor of a more relativistic picture. That is your truth, Gabe my truth, I've got my truth, and I'm going to live my truth, and you've got your truth, and you're going to live your truth. Mm-hmm. Right? And so what is postmodernism? Well, it's basically a collection of ideas that are designed to critique and challenge established norms. 
And so someone who is postmodern contends there's really no such thing as objective truth. Truth and what we understand truth to be is simply constructed by society. And so all ideas about morality, about human sexuality, about the divine, about Jesus, about God, there's no such thing as like a real concrete absolute truth. Mm -hmm. Those are just constructs. And also postmodernism holds to the belief that institutions such as science and language are oppressive institutes of control. (laughs) This is so interesting to me. Hmm. So here's like what a postmodernist will say. I know we're getting into the kind of the deep end of the pool philosophically, but that words construct meaning through the historical context and socialization of particular culture. So -hmm. for example, the number 13 in Western culture connotes negativity, right? So we think, wow, 13, that's an unlucky number. But in Chinese, 13 means definitely vibrant. Hmm. So here's the question. Is 13 a lucky number or an unlucky number? Mm-hmm. If you're an American, you think it's unlucky. If you're Chinese, you think it's lucky, right? Right. So who's right and who's wrong? And the postmodernist says, oh, see, there's many different perspectives. There's many different vantage points. Not one of them is right. They're all right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you take this postmodern understanding into Christianity, here's what you get. What people have said are the clear teachings of Christianity and the truth of who Jesus is, a postmodernist would say, and those are simply constructs. Mm. Those are simply constructs. This person over here says that Jesus was a social activist. This person over here says that Jesus is a form of a Buddha. This person over here says Jesus is the son of God. Like what? Who's right? And a postmodernist will say, man, most of these contracts are oppressive institutes of control. <laughs> and organized religion has used that control, and they've called it truth, to oppress people from different sexual orientations, to oppress women, to oppress others with different spiritual viewpoints. So the only reason evangelicals or historic Orthodox Christians hold to their viewpoints about human sexuality or about gender roles or about the exclusivity of Jesus is because they're trying to control and oppress somebody. It's not necessarily because there's, tr- there's truth there, because again, truth is many different mm-hmm. flavors and perspectives. It's because they're trying to control you. They're trying to oppress you. They're trying to say that their truth is the only truth there, but it's not the only truth there. There's all these other truths. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have this theory. You know, so my dad's side of the family, at least three generations back, they were all poor rice farmers in the flatlands of Arkansas and the Mississippi River Basin. My mom's side of the family, they worked in steel and iron, and they built locomotives in the Northeast and Cincinnati. I am sitting in my basement paying for internet, paying for lights, putting food on the table, Doing all the living in a, in a in a decently sized average size house on the shoulders of prior generations' hard work. I am not hand to mouth like they probably were. I'm not living wondering is my next paycheck going to cover enough that that we have enough food. So I'm not I'm not coming home every day having planted seeds in the earth. I'm not coming home every day having turned wrenches on locomotives or whatever they did. I'm coming home every day 
And I'm, I have the luxury of having tons of calories in my kitchen, tons of calories in my refrigerator, and tons of time. I don't, I don't have to work sunup to sundown. I have a, you know, basically a nine to five job and I can take a day off if I need to. But it's like, I am, I'm subsisting off of their hard work and I have excess now because of that. And a lot of Americans do because of the hard work of prior generations in the United States of America. Mm. I have a theory that the farther we get removed from putting seeds in the earth or cutting down, clearing forest and, and raising cattle, milking cattle, um, you know, uh, building houses and, and all these very hard labor, we have to do this to survive kind of experiences. Um, the farther we get removed from that and the more calories and free time we accumulate, we invent these problems. We, we detach ourselves from mm. very basic, simple to understand truths. Right. And it's life is so much clearer in in those in those times in those in those hard times, but when we accumulate an excess of calories and free time, then we 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 invent these problems of like, oh, there's injustice and there's maybe I'm a maybe I'm not the gender that my anatomy says that I am or all these other things. It's like, or maybe right, 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 right. maybe you just have an excess of calories and free time. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And and mm-hmm. you don't know what to do with that. You need to create right. struggle because humans long for struggle subconsciously they long for suffering hmm. subconsciously because it gives meaning and that's interesting like yeah. wanting to create that struggle and 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 a lot of it like honestly like a lot of the rejection of objective truth is framed in the language of struggle right mm-hmm. and it's framed in the language of evangelicals and hitho- historic orthodox christians um have used these social constructs that they've called truth to control and oppress other people. And they themselves are being controlled and oppressed, but they don't really know it. And they're doing it. And it's people in positions of privilege that are oppressing other people. And so really what it is, it's, it's a, it's a class struggle. Mm -hmm. And it's really the language of social Marxism Mm -hmm. that have kind of crept into this understanding of what is truth, what is right, what is wrong, what is absolute, what is concrete to say, really, that's it's it's all about just who's in a position of privilege and power. Mm-hmm. So, what's truth? Well, it depends on who's in position of privilege and power. That's what truth is. <laughs> this is this is not a new conversation, and it's not a new dilemma. I mean, it goes yeah. back to you know Pontius Pilate, you know, someone right. who had a lot of calories and free time. I would assume, um, you know, Jesus is on trial, and he's he basically says, uh, you know. He asked him, what is the truth? It's, it's interesting because like even the Roman leaders and authorities at the time were, were grappling with this, this very question. In a land of – in a society that is so full of excess, they still were searching for truth and they had no concept yeah. of what it is. Yeah. So when deconstruction creeps in, it encourages questioning everything, including the very nature of truth. And so here's here here's the question that deconstructionists are asking. If I'm being told that blank is true, and blank could be the Bible is the word of God, Jesus is the only way to heaven, uh, human sexuality is supposed to be practiced this way, am I being told that simply because there are institutions and parties that want 
to use this construct to control or oppress me. Is that why I'm being told that? Hmm. Because I look over here and there's all these other people that don't believe that to be true. So who's right? <laughs> and, and the question is never asked, what is right? The question is asked, who is right? And I think that's that's a really important distinction. So, so um, there's a lot of reasons we're going to consider as we get into this series. We're gonna we're gonna actually do four parts. This is part one of four parts. We're gonna look at like why people might go down this journey and really kind of wade into the deep end of that. And I, and I want to really get into what might lead people to that. So the four we're going to look at in this series is uh, bad teaching, church hurt, something called moral licensing, and the desire for street cred. Um, so we're going to get into that through these episodes. But um, Gabe and I were talking yesterday about like just a couple reasons why this might be trending. And so um, we'll, we'll go back and forth on that. So Gabe, you want to mention a reason why this might be trending uh, this topic of deconstruction and ex-evangelical, why is that a trending topic? Hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a growing, I would say number one, there's a growing distrust in large institutions. Um, uh, you know, like, I think that's at an all-time high. So, um, you know, for instance, the show, the podcast, Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, um, mm-hmm. and Hillsong uh, documentary, you know, Hillsong Exposed or Megachurch Exposed, um, people, people have this intrinsic, um, when, when an entity gets really big and gets this big brand, you know, it's like people have a, a natural, like mistrust of that. And maybe there's exploitation going on. And so like these shows and these documentaries or these scandals come to light and it kind of adds, um, it, it validates that fear in people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so naturally they just kind of say, well, if, if that's corrupt then the whole thing's corrupt, you know? Right, right, um, right. And then there's there's sex abuse scandals all throughout. I mean, I was I was hit. It was a punch in the gut when um, Robbie Zacharias Robbie Zacharias it, it came to light that he was um, involved in a lot of sex abuse scandal, um, yep. sex abuse scandals in the Southern Baptist Convention and the in the Catholic Church. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's in financial components of this like embezzlement, um, exploitation of people's giving, um, leadership failures. Um, you know, uh, we have people like Mark Driscoll, for instance, um, it comes to light that, yeah, he's, he's, he's just a jerk, <laughs> you know, he's a, he's a <laughs> yeah. gifted yeah. speaker. Um, but in terms of actually like behind the scenes showing, uh, servant love and servant leadership is, is just an absolute failure in that. So people begin mm-hmm. to see that there's a, there's a lot of hypocrisy in some of these some of these Christian influencers, I'm doing air quotes there. <laughs> um, and, and so, and here's, here's the thing is like these motives are based out of a love of truth and a love of justice, a love of consistency and purity. And so these people who, who have those values in them, which are godly values, um, they see the thing that I am identifying with has a cancer and I don't want to be a part of that because I value truth and consistency and, and justice. And these people are, are – they don't seem to have that. Therefore, right. I'm going to start – that's going to kickstart me on this journey. 
Um, so yeah, that's, that's, um, that's probably one there, I think. But yeah. uh, if these institutions, which seem so corrupt and rotten to the core, taught um, the truth about human sexuality, the exclusivity of Christ, um, and the Bible of God's word, can, can I trust that teaching? So like, um, if they, if they taught blank, if, if, so in other words, if, um, you know, if, what, what can I trust that they teach? Yeah, um, and absolutely. that becomes the question. Yeah. It's like all of it, the house of cards begins to kind of like crumble at right. that point. Um, yeah. can I trust anything that any religious leader is going to try to teach me is truth. Right. Because yeah. I have seen time and time again, people, um, proven to be hypocritical in that area. Right. And I think I, yeah, stole, I think I stole your point. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. No, all that's 100%. Like, I, I feel yeah. like that's probably the biggest reason why probably the past few years this has been a trending topic because people distrust large institutions now more so than ever, especially the, the big church, see? But uh, I'll steal your topic since you stole my yeah. topic. Yeah, so. do that. It's only fair. All right. So another reason Gabe and I came up with for why this is trending is there is more access to online content than ever before in any generation in all of human history. Mm-hmm. And there's a social contagion element to this thing called deconstruction. And not only that, it is incredibly evangelistic in the sense that people who deconstruct want to show other people how to do it also. It's not enough to just go through that journey yourself. You want to advertise that you're doing it and you want other people to join you in doing it. And so Josh Harris, the guy that we mentioned in the the bumper and the guy that we talked about earlier, he actually tried to offer a course on how to deconstruct that you could purchase for $700. Hmm. So you could subscribe to his like mini e-course. But then people cried foul and he discontinued it, thankfully. But um, man, you can go on YouTube. There's YouTube videos. There's Twitter hashtags. There's online blogs. There's TikToks. You, you name it. There are people who are committed to, quote-unquote, helping other people in their journey of deconstruction. And I think the problem with consuming online content, which you're consuming online content right now listening to this, so thank you, (laughs) but there is a problem with it in that so often we consume online content divorced from community. Mm -hmm. So we're digitally connected, but we're relationally detached. And so we'll consume all this content without community or meaningful relationships to help us decipher it wisely and to make sense of it. And and so what happens is we can fall into these feedback loops where everything we see or read or listen to is only one side of the equation and it doesn't tell the full story. And then what starts to happen, this is super, super scary and dangerous. The algorithm of Google, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok simply feeds us what it is we want to see. And so we get more radicalized than we realize because what we're seeing and viewing is just one, one side of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and that's a, I think that's a reason. I think that's a reason why people go down this rabbit hole and sometimes don't come out because of, because of that phenomena at work. So, yeah, I think that's a big reason. Hmm. Gabe, what's another reason why this is trending? Um, I'm going to skip 
to my point now, and so I don't steal another one of yours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I think I think the upcoming generation is disgusted by political idolatry and antagonism towards certain groups of people uh, by the established church. Um, so we live in a very politically divided time in our nation, very, probably the most politically divided since, since the 1860s, I would say. Hmm. And it's only natural that pastors standing up on pulpits want to express their political ideologies or their political opinions. Um, and unfortunately, many, many times um, we take, we take um, the platforms and all the uh, agenda of, of one particular um, political party, namely the Republican Party, and we almost treat it like it's a like it's a wing of our, like you know, there's we've got kids ministry, women's ministry, ministry, and there's there's all the you know the Republican, you know, like right, pillar, right, right. pillars, and and and, and there, there was a, there's probably a degree of overlap, a lot of overlap uh, between the Republican ideologies and and all that, and in the Christian faith, but um, but but it shouldn't be like hook, line, and sinker. It sh- it, there are things in the Republican Party that we disagree on, right? And we should disagree on. So we should not identify ourselves as Christian Republicans or Republican Christians, but um, we should be independent thinkers and, and examine those things. And it may turn out that you you pull the, the lever for, for majority of Republicans. I don't know. But um, when we as pastors stand up and say, okay, make sure you get out there and vote for anyone with an R behind their name or in front of their name, um, mm. that's, that's really dangerous. And so I think... Um, you know, you mentioned a, a, a guy up in, in the Nashville area um, who was screaming from the pulpit that if you showed up <laughs> wearing a mask, if you showed up in the church wearing a mask, you'd be forced to leave. Yes. Um, so <laughs> it's just this like, you know, this tribalism that we want to like, if you're wearing a mask, you must be of a different political ideology or you're de- delusioned. And therefore, I want you to leave because I want I, I want to further that divide and I want to further um, consolidate my power and influence. Um. Which is scary to think that like uh, there is a there is a church out there where a man has that much power. That's terrifying. Where yeah, he can just it's, invite it's someone to leave the church. Yeah, that's that's the kind of stuff that cults are made out of. Absolutely. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think we live in this age where it's like, uh, you know, it's it's, and and this is this is you know I watch Fox News, the gym. You know, it's like I go to the gym and Fox News is on mute, and it's like Fox News does a, such a good job of packaging. Republican and American conservative ideas as being a component of your religion and your faith as an evangelical Christian. Yes. They do such a good job of marketing that, and it's easy to get swept up into that. Um, but you got to stop, and you have to you have to first examine political issues, which you should be doing. You should be politically engaged, but examining them through the lens of Scripture. Um, you know, but it's it's like in the South, especially, it's like if you're a twenty or thirty something who's just a political moderate, or you're just kind of like. You know, I don't identify with either of these parties 100. Um, percent You have a fi- you have a hard time really fitting in, and mm-hmm. especially in the southeast and in evangelical Christian churches. So there's a lot of people yeah. in this younger generation who are wondering how much of what I'm hearing in churches in America on Sunday morning is a truth of God, and how much of it is Republican MAGA propaganda. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that there is. A lot of people and again, the upcoming generation that, you know, they hear a pastor scream, hey, if you're wearing a mask, you're not welcome in my church. They're like, well, that 
that doesn't kind of, that doesn't sound like Jesus. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, hmm, hmm, maybe there's nothing there for me at that place. And so maybe I need to explore a different expression of my faith than this because this doesn't seem very Christ-like. And so I think that that's probably why this is trending in a lot of the younger demographic. Um, so another one we talked about is I think that deconstruction is the fruit of closed-minded Christian tribalism. Mm. In other words, there are people in the under 40 crowd that grew up in churches that taught some pretty wacky things. Where things that were doctrinal minors were Mm. taught as doctrinal majors. Mm. And what do I mean like doctrinal minors? Things like eschatology, the second coming of Christ. Like throughout church history, Christians have agreed that Jesus is coming back. But the specifics of when and how he's coming back, Mm -hmm. there has been reasonable disagreement for the past 2,000 years. But there are some people who grew up in churches that taught Jesus is coming back like this, exactly like this. And if you don't believe in that, then you don't believe the Bible. Mm Mm-hmm. Or things like the particulars of creation or the age of the earth. Man, if you don't believe in a literal six-day creation, well, congratulations, you are on a fast train to heresy, (laughs) right? (laughs) You don't believe the Bible. Or spiritual gifts. I think that's probably why, Gabe, so many from our college are deconstructing. Mm -hmm. Because they were taught, you have to speak in tongues or you don't have the Holy Spirit. And so let's just be honest. There's a lot of people who faked the gift of tongues. (laughs) <laughs> they faked it. They were speaking They were speaking gibberish in church services. They weren't really speaking a ecstatic heavenly language. They were speaking gibberish. Hmm. And so you grew up hearing that, and then you get old enough, and you're like, well, that was fake. So what else is fake in this, right? Hmm. So doctrinal minors, like, do you have music in church? If you do, what kind? Church governance, all that stuff. All of these doctrinal minors get elevated to a place where this is a doctrinal major. And if you question that doctrinal minor, your salvation or your dedication to God is in question. And then some groups will heavily emphasize extra biblical teachings on things like standards for dress or music or dating or ways to do spiritual warfare. Uh, I think this is interesting. Almost everyone I know that went through YWAM, Youth with a Mission, mm-hmm. has deconstructed or is deconstructing or has deconverted. Almost mm-hmm. every one of them. I have, mm-hmm. I have yet to see. I know maybe two or three people who were in YWAM that still follow Jesus. Everybody else deconstructed. Wow. And I think it's because there were so many extra biblical teachings that were pushed as this is this is the only way to do it, Right. So if you're brought up in that and you're told you can't question this, and if you question this, you're going to get punished, here's what happens. Eventually, somebody leaves the bubble and they find some stuff out. And then they wonder, man, if I was told this about this and I later discovered that wasn't true at all, what if what I'm told about this other foundational doctrine of Christianity, what if that's not true either? Right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so I think so much of the deconstruction that we're seeing right now in the under 40 crowd is simply the fruit of closed-minded Christian tribalism of the previous Mm -hmm. generation. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And the last reason, and then we got to sign off here in a bit, is I think there's this curse of Christian celebrity. I think the reason there's so many Christian artists and celebrities deconstructing is Christian artists are entertainers. They're not faith leaders. Mm -hmm. They're entertainers. But they're put on stages and worshipped as faith leaders and experts in Christian thought. Mm. But if you're a Christian musician or a Christian artist, guess what? You're probably not connected to a vibrant, strong local church. You know why? Because you're touring. (laughs) (laughs) So you're not involved in this thing called the body of Christ. You you can't be. You're touring. You're constantly on stages. And so when you have a struggle or a doubt or a question, you don't have the space to ask it because you don't have a pastor. And you don't have the space to ask it because you're a very lucrative product. And if you show weakness, that could affect the bottom line for your stakeholders, whether that's your record company or whatever else, right? Mm. So you're forced to stay private with your struggles until those doubts get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and they get the better of you. And then you crack all together and say, I don't know if I believe any of this. Hmm. So I think that's why so many Christian artists are deconstructing. Uh, well, in, in addition to that, if I might add real fast, imagine, just just um, think about Justin Bieber, for instance, too, or, or um, Kanye West. We did an entire episode, you know, talking about some right. of the things Kanye West did. It's like these guys have a ton of influence and notoriety. They convert to Christianity. And suddenly they have as much influence in the millennial and Generation Z demographic as maybe Billy Graham did in the baby boomer generation. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? But how much grounding and, you know what I'm saying, how much discipleship, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have, they, <laughs> how much discipleship have they received? But they're just spewing, oh. spewing, spewing and speaking. And you're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. hold on. <laughs> you, are not in a, you are not someone who can speak authoritatively on this subject. You are like three days right. into this faith. Um, right. Back up, you know. So, yeah, that's 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 tough. Yeah. So, land in the plane. How do we walk with, pray for, and help someone that's in this process? We're going to do a whole episode on this, but just something to think about as we sign off. Jude one twenty two says, "Have mercy on those who doubt." And First Peter three fifteen says, "Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect." Hmm. So I think if you have a friend, a family member, a spouse, a child, someone you love that is in this process of deconstructing, I would say, based on these two passages of Scripture, that you need to be a safe and respectful place for that person who is struggling with their doubt. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just listen. Love them. Also, I say, don't assume that you know why they're deconstructing. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, again, like no deconstruction story is the same. Everybody has different reasons for that. But also don't assume that they know their reason for deconstructing. Mm. They may say that it's intellectual obstacles, but as you poke around that and you start asking questions, you start listening, you find out, man, you just got hurt by church. Like that's why you're deconstructing. Or you're just, you really have a hard time trusting and that's why you're deconstructing, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, we've talked about Columbo questions from the Gregory Kokel book, Tactics. And so I would say in these conversations, uh, find some common ground and then respectfully and gently ask these Columbo questions. Like, 
if somebody comes in hot with a truth claim about the teaching of Christianity, like if they come in and say, well, the only reason that evangelicals teach blank about LGBT is because of blank, or, you know, the Bible can't be seen as a literal word of God as, you know, as, as scripture because of blank, um, instead of going, well, that's not true, you wrote... A better approach might be, hey, what do you mean by that? Hmm. Or how did you come to that conclusion? And just listen. And then when someone is telling you where they're at or expressing to you their ideas or their doubts or their struggles, uh, push back by offering small bite-sized nuggets of truth for them to chew on. Mm-hmm. Like, why is it that Christians have seen the Bible as authoritative for the past 2,000 years? Why is that? But here's the deal. you got to know what you're talking about <laughs> if you push back on them. You can't just say, well, the Bible says, okay, well, if somebody is going through this process, if they're starting to see the Bible as not authoritative, why do they care what the Bible says? Yeah. you got to know why you see it as authoritative and why Christians for the past 2,000 years have seen it as authoritative. And uh, above all, and then we'll sign off, do not give up on that person. Love them, love them, love them, love them. Leave the door of communication and conversation open. Pursue them, hang out with them, talk with them, love Mm -hmm. them through it, speak truth to them. The worst thing you could do is come in hot, tell them they're a heretic and they're on an express train to hell. Yeah. And just love them. Yeah, express hope in them. Because if you look at every major player in the Bible, every every patriarch, every prophet, they all had one thing in common is that they at one point had intense doubts of God's plan yep. in their life. Doubt is part of our walk. And what we do in that doubt and who we encounter during that doubt makes all the difference. And you could be the person that instills hope and speaks truth and clarity in a moment of great confusion. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm excited about this series. We're going to get into a lot of these issues. So thank you for listening or watching today. You can leave us a comment on the YouTube video or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. And we will get in deeper into this world of deconstruction in the weeks to come. So thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.